Hi, and welcome to another episode of Freight to the Point, a podcast by Zen Cargo. This week we have a special episode as we featured a session from our most recent Navigate events. This session is on the future of rates should you lock in long term, with Zen Cargo's VP of Ocean, Anne Sophie Freiburg, and Niels Manson, VP of Product and Operations at Sea Intelligence. In this episode, they explore the current rate market and expectations for the future and strategies shippers should take to stay competitive in this dynamic market. We hope you enjoy this episode. When it comes to shipping, all eyes have been on rates, especially in that industry, but while prices are going up and down, we know that uh, uh, a lot of changes are happening and that changes have a lot of impact on the rates, on the pricing strategy, on the tactics of the carriers and the services and all this will probably change the shape of the environment in the in the future. At Zen Cargo, a lot of questions come from our customers, from our prospects about the rates, about the future of rates. For example, is it now a good time to lock in a rate? Do should we stay on the spot market? What should be done in order to keep our supply chain competitive in a very volatile environment? So who better to join me than Niels Matson, who is the VP of Product and Operations at Sea Intelligence? Niels will jump on and discuss with us about the market trends and how it will affect the rates. So welcome, Niels. Would you like, please, to introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Anne-Sophie, and thank you very much for having me here. As you said, my name is Niels Madsen. I'm now three years with Sea Intelligence. Before that, I had about 28 years with various carriers, primarily on operation or network design, so route network design roles. So that's sort of my background in terms of this. I've been spending time on intermodal, on terminals, on vessels, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it's primarily on the operational part. And since well, now three years now with Sea Intelligence on uh, on looking at statistics and looking at the what the future might bring. Background is very impressive, huh, Niels? <laughs> Um, so our our shippers are expecting uh, some kind of normality after what we've experienced uh, during uh, during covid during the past the past years with crazy rates with uh, shipping lines not knowing where their equipment is with uh, bottlenecks in the ports so are we back to a normal uh, normal situation what can you tell us about the what, what we call the, the new normal the new normal yes what what is what is really normal these days if you Think of normal as returning to pre-pandemic days, then no, we are not. We are, have to settle in for the new normal that we discussed. What we are looking at from Sea from Intelligence perspective is when we look at, at, at scheduled liability, when we look at the capacity deployed, when we look at freight rate for that matter, scheduled liability for the vessels, it's coming back, but it's still lacking behind pre, pre-pandemic levels. And we saw in pandemic that as soon as there is a little bit of a bottleneck, carriers tend to deprioritize schedule liability. So that's probably also what we will we will see in the future. As soon as there is anything, uh, schedule liability is, is a nice to have, but uh, if there is something that that's, to struggles it, probably they will not focus so much on it. When it comes to uh, to rates, I don't think anybody has experienced anything like what we had for the last two, three years. We said 
a year ago that it would take a long time before we came to pre-pandemic levels. We were wrong. It took a very short time. Actually, in some instances, we're now getting reports that we are below pre-pandemic levels on, on freight rates, which is totally scary. But I believe that, that probably freight rates is something that's going to normalize around pre-pandemic levels uh, very soon. We are seeing bouncing up and down both on spot rates and on contractual rates. But it will it will level out probably somewhat slightly above pre-pandemic levels. Mm-hmm. And there, there are there are other challenges that we see uh, that we see at the moment. We see that uh, there is a lot of capacity coming in. Yes, uh, the, the, the order book is huge. We see that uh, shipping lines have to become compliant with the new regulation. There is a path to zero carbon, and they are all attempting to change their ships, renew their ships in order to be compliant. We see a change in the alliances land- landscape as well. And we also see labor issues in uh, in ports, problems with the circulation of the of the cargo in uh, in many ports, which is uh, improving, but there are still some uh, some sure. issues and bottlenecks. What would you categorize as a short as short term issues, and what would be the the long term issues where you think it would have a huge impact in the coming in the years to come? Uh, one, the, the big one, as, as you mentioned, is the, probably the capacity injection that we're seeing right now. Because of the relatively low demand, although it is gaining back now, but the low demand is uh, has now made sure that there is a lot of capacity available in the market and more is coming. We have right now somewhere between 10 and 12% over capacity. Yeah. And 2023, 24, both year we'll see another 9% additional coming online, not to mention what order books will be placed to the rest of this year is going to come in 25, 26, right? Uh, so there is an overcapacity in, in the market and there is two options you, you can say for that. Either the carriers will keep the capacity in the market, in which case the demand will not be enough and then they will sail around with underutilization, which in a normal market would predict a lowering of freight rates. So the the question is, can they get any lower? The other option is the carriers will start to either delay uh, new buildings or to take out capacity either through canceled sailings, blankings, or even layups. Initially this year, we saw no indications of of capacity withdrawal. Lately, we're starting to see now reducing capacity, cancellations, even suspension of services. Uh, suspension of services. So carriers are now taking uh, actions toward uh, to, to trying to mitigate some of that overcapacity that's, that's in the market, right? The other one you have is the IMO regulations. I don't think you're going to have too much of an impact on uh, on the service level from the carriers, but you might have an impact on rates. Not on the rates, but let's call them surcharges, But because I think that uh, whatever IMO regulations that the carriers will be imposed will have some money attached to it, some cost attached to it, and that will likely be sent on to the to the shippers. I don't think they're going to be doing it as part of a freight rate. I think they will be doing it as part of a surcharge, which will then be incorporated in all the new uh, uh, contracts that are going to come. We all know that shippers mainly have, all have contracts saying no surcharge is allowed, but can you really, as, as a shipper, can you then really afford to sit back and say, uh, yeah, we're the shipper who did not want to pay for a green world, right? So that uh, they're going to have a, a strong argument for a green surcharge. 
And what about the landscape of alliances? We saw the the, the divorce of uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the separation yeah, not... of M twenty twenty five. Yeah, we're not. We saw the announcement of it, and we're slowly starting to see. I mean, officially they say that they will continue operation until 2025, as is without, which they don't. We are already seeing that uh, MSC and Merck are going alone on certain uh, new projects that they are doing. So they're of course preparing themselves for a breakup in 2025. That being said, MSC has been out saying that they are they intend to go alone, and they probably also have the size to do so. Musk, on the other hand, has never really been someone who's been out there alone. They've always been always been in either an alliance or a, a, a global partnership of sorts. So they might join another alliance or have some. My suspicion, my suspicion is that all three alliances will break up and new partnerships will form along the way. I don't think we're going to see alliances the way that we have them today. It has caused too many problems for them regulatory in terms of competition laws etc etc there's been too many questions to ask and now we, we even now seeing the all the lawsuits that have been going on in the us so i think they will abandon alliances structure as we see them today but they will go into long-term partnerships and that can then be individually on a trade-by-trade basis with whom you are entering a partnership and we'll probably see uh, and i'm sure you agree on that differences in the career strategy for the in the future that's the next one, right? Because we have very clearly different strategies between the top five carriers, uh, for sure. And Merck being the uh, you know, full end-to-end logistics provider, uh, MSC not being so much interested in logistics, uh, CMA now investing in airplanes, et cetera, et cetera. So they have a very different strategy in terms of what is it that they want to offer to their customers. Uh, and that's perfectly fine. But that's also going to play in when you start considering who are you going to partner up with in the future? Will be your partner. I agree with you. And and you talked about surcharges and uh, that would, could could new surcharges that could come into into effect. What do you think is going to be the the relationships between shippers, forwarders, and carriers? Knowing that uh, you know shippers have suffered uh, a lot during COVID, what is your uh, analysis of the yeah. present well, relationship? This is why you have to be a little careful about what, what to say, right? Because have the shippers really been suffering for the last two years or have the carriers been suffering for the previous 20 years? Uh, who was first and uh, who's taking revenge on whom and so on. So this this industry has always had a strained relationship between uh, carriers and shippers uh, and forwarders. Yes, for the past two years, Carriers have definitely taken advantage of the situation, but who wouldn't? I would argue shippers, forwarders took advantage of the situation the previous 20 years, and they're probably taking advantage of the situation now. I don't see any shippers going out and offering to pay $200 over the going spot rate. So it's a it's a matter of, of uh, you know, who, who's first? Chicken or the egg, right? This is... Uh, this is Seller's we, market or buyer's market? Yes, exactly. It's a seller's market or buyer's market. That's the whole thing, right? And uh, we will never come to terms on uh, who's right and who's wrong. But we have to trust each other at the end of the day. And uh, what we all need each other. What we have to do is we have to trust the agreements that we enter into. Um, So if you are out there and making a a one year agreement, then you have to stick to the deal. You have to stick to the gun, even if the rates go up or if the rates go down. That's the whole thing. 
but we all tend to, and both carriers and forwarders and shippers, they all tend to reopen the contract as soon as the rate disperse by $50 in one, in either direction, right? I'd like, uh, Niels, to come back to the question of rates and rates level. And uh, if we can quickly have a focus on the, the main trades uh, we are interested in, which are Trans-Pacific and, uh, and uh, Asia-Europe, what would you say? We've seen that uh, there has been GRI on Trans-Pacific. Shipping lines have tried to implement them in order to favor their uh, negotiate long-term negotiations with, uh, uh, with uh, mainly the, the BCOs. What do you foresee, particularly on these two trades in the in the coming weeks? Well, first of all, that the GRIs that the carriers are uh, are trying to to impose, at least let's put it like that, that is uh, apart from pandemic, then it's business as usual. They have always tried to impose a GRI right before rate negotiations. Uh, you know, that, that either it came in April on the Trans-Pacific or it came in November, December on the Asia-Europe trade. It has always been like that. It will probably always continue to be like that. Whether they're successful or not, it's a completely different uh, ballgame. The other reason why they are trying to do the GRIs now is that we saw since end of Q3, but especially since Q4 2022, we've seen the rates in basically free fall. Um, that continued into Q1 as well. And our understanding is that the carriers have tried to put a break on the fall. So it's still falling, but let's say it's not falling as, as free fall as it used to be. So the GRI announcement have put a break on the falling uh, falling rate that they, that was going with. Uh, and that's at least seems to have been successful, at least they're not in the free fall that we, that we used to see. I believe we will continue to see GRIs coming out. Um, and then, uh, it's, of course, it's up to the individual BCO uh, carrier relationship on whether it's going to be successful or not. I hope they will, I hope they will be successful. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not on a carrier side in any way. But uh, it, it, this industry, it has to be a win-win situation for, for both parties. Otherwise, we end up in this situation where everybody wants revenge over what somebody did two months ago. And then, and then we continue this downward spiral of mistrust. If we're in a win-win situation where, you know, the BCO is making a, a, a decent profit, the carrier is making a decent profit, and everybody's happy, then that's where we should be. Yeah, so, exactly. so that's 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 sort of just my view on it, right? Um, but yeah. And very quickly on the backhaul trades, which are the export trades um, in Europe. Yeah, well, if you start on the Pacific side, actually, the the backhaul from uh, from US to uh, to Asia right now, those rates are still over a hundred percent on pre-pandemic levels. So we are still seeing a, a heavy increase on on the backhaul on on Pacific. It's a matter of time when that will also take a hit, I'm sure. Uh, it, it, right now, it all turns to, it has to do with capacity, it has to do with equipment shortages, it has to do with positioning of equipment, et cetera. There's still that lack of containers uh, in the yes. in Asia that is situated in the US that they want to get back. Asia, Europe is a little different. It's already sort of leveled out to uh, slightly over a pre-pandemic level. Um, so so backhaul trades, it will follow. Once the equipment situation is is sorted out, then the backhaul trace will fall into place and we will be back at pre-pandemic level or slightly higher probably uh, than pre-pandemic level. We also have to remember with that we have to, 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 to rates that the carrier's cost level have increased since pre-pandemic, yes. right? Yes. So what, what was previously a, a, 
a thousand dollar unit cost is now twelve hundred dollar unit cost, and so so they can't afford to go back to a thousand dollar, which they used to, right? Uh, purely purely example on the on the on the on the prices, right? So that you will see a slightly above pre pandemic level is where the carriers will will be targeting. Okay, and when you say that um, when you say that we should uh, the shippers should. Uh, commit and deliver. This is what you would advise today in order for shippers to make sure they remain competitive, that their supply chain is really a competitive advantage. I really would like you to tell us what kind of value can be added by switching on the spot market or or, or, or maybe part of your business on the spot market, part contracting on long term. How do you foresee the balance uh, that would be needed to be in the race? Uh, that is uh, that is very much up to the individual uh, BCO, the individual shipper. What levels of, of what, what balance you're looking for? Is it a 50-50 or, or 70-30 or 80-20? That, that's actually up to the individual uh, shipper. I would not place all my eggs in one basket. I would not do 100% on contract and I would not do 100% on spot market. Uh, that is too much of a risk in, in either way. Uh, the way things are going right now, I'm also not sure that I would enter into more than a maximum six-month contracts. Uh, there's too much volatility going on in the rate still, both up and down. Um, so you, you need relatively short-term contracts. Or you need to have longer-term contracts with negotiation renegotiations every three, six months, something like this. Uh, it would be good for shippers, I think, to have a long-term relationship contract, if you understand what I mean, with the carriers to say, okay, we're in this for the next three years or five years, but let's look at the rates every three months or six months or, or something like that. That, that To me, that could be an option. That is a good option uh, with uh, having historical uh, relationship with, uh, with a partner is really key in terms of commitment and uh, rates that you can achieve being uh, reliable and being able to give forecast. I think what is important also is uh, probably to get a very good understanding of the market. And what you are telling us is very valuable. And uh, I think working with a freight partner is uh, is, uh, is key uh, to understand the dynamics and be able to, to, to position uh, yourself in, a, in such a, a volatile and uh, a market when there is a, a big lack of, uh, of visibility. Yeah, but I think I that say. I think that it's also important that it, if you are as a shipper able to do a f- proper forecast, it's it's important that you commit and you also deliver on the forecast. But it's vice versa; it has to be delivered by the carrier as well. So it's not just a one-way street, and it, it's uh-huh. all it all comes back to this whole level of trust that we are talking and about and commitment and commitment between uh, and delivery. Yes. So, but it, 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 it's a two-way it's a two-way street, right? It's a two-way street, and uh, that's I think that's where we have been. Pre-pandemic, it was a one-way street. Uh, you know, shippers were forecasting but not really delivering. During the pandemic, it was the other way street. Uh, carriers were saying one thing, but then at the end, they were not delivering what they promised in terms of space allocation. And we have to get it. This one has to be into a two-way street where we can we can rely on each other and know that if I commit 50, but then I'm getting 50. True. Thanks, Niels. Uh, I think we have to switch to our Q&A. 
Any tips for balancing service level and good rates? Does long-term rates uh, help? I think we've uh, more or less answered that question. Uh, I, I w- I but w- not the balance. No, I, I, I'm not going to go into specific what is a good rate, what is a bad rate. That that depends on, uh, on of course, on where you are in the world and, and the individual shipper carrier relationship. Balancing service level, uh, my personal take on that one has always been to have a slight overweight of contracted cargo, um, either if it's 60-40 or 70-30 uh, in terms of your uh, of yeah. your total total volume, right? 50-50 um, is a little risky. Shipping companies have the option to pass Suez Canal or below Africa in the, the Cape of Good Hope. Do you have any idea which passage is cheaper? Uh, I know lead times would increase if we consider passage below Africa, but is this passage cheaper than passing through Suez Canal? Yeah. No, that's not, it's not. Passing south of uh, Cape Town will initially, uh, as you say, as, as the question says itself, uh, it, the passage would take longer. Generally speaking, you would need to include two more vessels on every service in order to have a weekly service out of yeah. uh, from, from Asia to Europe. Do you have to add that? Kind of a cost you have to add the additional fuel cost, um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Generally speaking, no, it's not cheaper. Uh, which is the eternal argument that the Suez Canal is always using to increase the rates every year, right? You, what's your option? You don't have any other option. Blah blah blah. But we saw we saw with the accident of the the incident of Ever Given when it got stuck in the Suez that carriers are, are able to do it and do it relatively fast. Uh, it of course helped back then that a lot of vessels were uh, were open. Um, they were simply available to make a quick decision. Uh, but the general question is: No, it's not cheaper to go south. It is still cheaper to go through Suez Canal. Plus, for the carriers, it opens up the market of Middle East and Mediterranean. Because if you go south, you're basically skipping out on the entire Central and uh, Eastern Mediterranean, plus the entire Middle East in cargo. Mm-hmm. Um, last question. Uh, shipping lines have now started using renewable energy, lower fuel consumption with ULSS operations and other operational efficient operations to reduce their costs. Will it be cheaper in the future if we look into booking such vessels for transportation? Will these new implementations help reduce the shipping costs? Long term, yes. Yeah. Long term, yes. Uh, right here, right now. Yes, I have. I saw the uh, the wind energy on deep sea and this kind of thing. Those are still experimental stages. Uh, I don't have any major shipping that who has implemented it on uh, on any of their services as a regular thing yet. But they're looking into it, and and hats off for that. I, I like that. It's it's perfect. Uh, what we are seeing now is uh, these uh, alternative energy sources, fuel sources that the new buildings are coming out with. And uh, right now, that fuel is more expensive than normal fuel. But what we do need is a lot of, we need more fuel companies to start producing that kind of fuel. And I'm saying and that kind of fuel because now. because the, the carriers are right now, I think they're right now up to three different kinds of alternative fuel methods, right? But it goes for all of them. If there's only one company in the world that produces methane gas capable of, of using it for, for vessel, then the price is high. But if you have 10 companies who can do it, the price will automatically start reducing. So long-term, yes, it will contribute. It will contribute to to cheaper uh, transportation costs, I'm sure. But right here, right now, and long-term, it's maybe 10 years, 15 years. Right here, right now, two, three years, it will not. 
probably be more expensive in the short term, and then it's going to even itself out, and then it will be less expensive in the in the longer term. Yeah, thanks very much, Niels. Thanks for all your valuable insights. I think we've had a, we've had a good vision of uh, what is going to happen. Thank you for listening to another episode of Freight to the Point. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback on this episode, please get in contact with us and don't forget to like and subscribe. But until next time, goodbye.